This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of 1964 for Friday, May 14th, 2021. And there he is across the table from me, the Ringo to my Harrison. It's Adam Hall. Hello. That fits. It's the first time you said that, that that opening ever where I've been like, yeah, okay. Sounds about right. I mean, I don't know. If we had to pick, who would I? <laughs> Am I Ringo? Yeah. yeah. I don't, you're not George. How dare you? You're not George, How even though I know he's your favorite, but you're not George. I'm probably Paul, aren't I? Uh, in the group? God. Let's say it? in the movie Hard Day's Night. In the movie Hard Day's Night? You see, I still think I'm I'm George. Honest to God. I don't think we have a Ringo. Because I would say you're Paul, uh, um, Nick is uh, John. Yeah, but, okay, in the context of Hard Day's Night, you would be the the guy that just leaves 10 minutes before, like, a podcast and starts wandering the streets of London. And you just know what taking I mean? pictures of random things. Yeah, I mean, I that's guess. something you would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Ringo just ups and leaves. He's like, yeah, I don't want to do this fucking live performance, and goes. You think that would be me? There's got to be. It's definitely you. I don't know. It's definitely you. I don't know. I don't know. You're definitely the one to just blow everything off and just wander. I'm not the one. I like to wander. I'm not the one to blow everything off, I guess. You know, I like to keep to a plan. I'm the quiet one, you know? Okay. You are the quiet one, I guess. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, yeah. So I guess, all right, maybe you're George then. Like, I don't know a lot of Ringo's. Like, Ringo's a tough one to crack. <laughs> That's the thing. A lot of people, like, like I know try- a ton of Ringo's. Really? Oh, I, yeah. I don't know who, who's a Ringo. <laughs> I'm surrounded by Ringo's, man. <laughs> I'm surrounded by Ringo's. Like, the Seinfeld argument for us is very easy to crack. Like, I'm Newman, and there's no question. It's just Newman, and that's that. Right. And it makes perfect sense to me. But the Beatles question comes up every once in a while, and I have no idea what yeah, that is. Yeah, but Newman is. isn't, like... You got to do the big four. Like Newman doesn't really count. But who else would I be? Um, I mean, you're kind of like Kramer if he wasn't lovable. Ah, you know what I'm saying? There it is. <laughs> there it is. Stab to the heart. You're kind of like Kramer, <laughs> but if like no one found you charming. Who's Abby? Because <laughs> uh, she's not Elaine. <laughs> No, she's got some Elaine in her. Abby's a little got some bit. Absolutely. You think she's the Elaine? I don't know. I think she's very Elaine. You th- <laughs> I think she's very Elaine. And I won't go into the specifics here, but I can tell you with relative certainty that she is very Elaine. I might have to disagree with you. Okay. Yeah, I'm not quite there. We can but- litigate this off air. <laughs> Who's Elaine? We can litigate this off air. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I, I came out of the womb, George. So yes, that, I know. that's settled. I know. I know. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. The question is, who's Jerry? And I don't really know if I know a lot of Jerry's. Hmm. I, do, I don't really know any Jerry's. Do I know a Jerry? Yeah. Do I know a Jerry's? God, I don't think so. I mean, I might if I thought about it hard enough, but I can't think about it right now. So I have no idea. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. This is a podcast about movies. Yeah, we're supposed to be talking about films. It's a film podcast. It's a serious film podcast. It's a serious film podcast. We're back after two weeks off. How was your How was your week off? It was very sad, and the world came crumbling down. I guess COVID's ending, and I'm very upset. (laughs) You have to leave the house now. I know. I was having such a good time. (laughs) Yeah, but like, how about the masks that we wore before COVID? Oh, (laughs) you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. 
There are no masks like, anymore. Like, how about those masks? Like, I understand, like, you know, face masks no longer a thing, but God, I've been wearing a mask for 20 years. I don't know what I'm going to do with that one. <laughs> he's, he's been going to therapy for like two weeks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like not good to talk about therapy on the podcast? I don't think. Like, would you I, discourage that? Like, I, like again, I've only been doing this for a very short period of time. I think if your therapist went on a podcast and started talking about clients all out, like curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, that would be bad. That's terrible. Well, yeah, I think that's a HIPAA violation. Yes, is what that is. <laughs> I think you're fine. I don't think you have any issues in that way. No, I'm just saying, like, for my own well being, is that something? Should I be like burying my soul under the guise of confidentiality? And then immediately hop on Two Cents Radio and talk about everything that I that I discussed in therapy. Well, I'm not a therapist. Because that's what I go. did last night. And I'm oh. not sure if it's like detrimental to my process or helpful. Wait, you 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 went on a podcast and started like like expunging. And I and I just said I just repeated everything I said in therapy. What podcast was it? Two Cents Radio last night. Oh. I just repeated myself. Okay. It could be bad. You'll I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I was gonna say you'll find out <laughs> some I find the best way to learn is to make only mistakes. <laughs> Only a bunch of mistakes. I overshare. Yes, you, yeah, you do. I'm a big overshare. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. yeah. That's on you, man. Yeah. Keep it to yourself. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, no one cares about my shit. <laughs> you seen any good movies recently? I watched uh, Top 5 oh, a while ago. Yeah, was, I saw you watch that. And it was really good. It was really, really good. Yeah. Everyone kind of has a stick up their ass about that movie. I'm not really sure what it is. I don't even think they have a stick up their ass. I don't think they know what it is, man. Yeah. It's one of those like, like, oh, what's that? You know, I had to, you know, it was me, Abby, and one of our friends, and we were just watching. I'm like, I've wanted to see this, so let's just give it a shot. And they had no idea what it was. So we just flipped it on, and it was like this nice, pleasant surprise. And they were a little skeeved out by the orgy scene for mm, good reason. Sure. I mean, I don't blame them. It was hilarious. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was a, it was a trip. As I said, it's, it's basically Chris Rock doing his Woody Allen in, in his Chris Rock way. And it's great. Mm. It's a great, like, like, uh, interpretation of those ideas yeah. and it's perfect for him. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I thought he was like really well suited to that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his film career has not been the most decorated one. I mean, he's one of our great stand-ups, but like not a bad film career, I guess. It could be worse in the realm of like comedians, I guess. Yeah, well, he has done those Jack and Jill movies, I think. I think. What's his best movie? The best movie he's ever done? Pootie Tank? Pootie Tank? <laughs> I guess maybe it's top five. I don't know. Madagascar? I like Madagascar a lot. I like Madagascar 2 a lot. Those are good movies. But uh, how about Madagascar three? Apparently that one's really good too. I haven't seen it. Yeah. They're all good. <laughs> My little cousin is obsessed with those movies. Um, and maybe I need to revisit them. You just play the Guinea pig in Dr. Doolittle, a movie that I really like. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> um, yeah, like didn't Noah Baumbach do like punch up work on Madagascar three? Yeah, that's like the funniest thing about that movie is the fact that Noah Baumbach is somewhat involved. He has a screenwriting credit. He's weird. Yeah. Uh, I watched a, a movie on Netflix. It's called The Mitchells versus the Machines. Oh, that's on my list. Yeah, uh, you would love this movie. Okay, you would just adore it. I really liked it. Um, I I loved the animation style. I loved uh, the characters and. You could tell that there is a lot of the filmmakers in these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of something that 
uh, and by the way, this is produced by Lord Miller. This is a Lord Miller production, although they didn't direct it themselves. It's the Spider-Man animation, right? Yes. Yes. You can tell that their influence is, um, you know, really strong and profound in this movie. It's another Sony production. And the the Sony animated movies are kind of hit and miss for me. Like they did the cloudy with a chance of meatballs movies. Lord Miller directed both of those. And then they also did the emoji movie. So it's like a studio mm. that is sort of on a, a search for its own identity. I mean, they've only been making mainstream animated movies for like 12 years now. And I think the Lord and Miller thing has stuck. I think like that's their style now. Okay. It was a movie that was supposed to come out last year in theaters. You can tell like it's a big, expensive studio production and, um, it was, you know, a casualty of COVID. Essentially, they had to sell it to Netflix because they wanted to recoup some of their money. Um, so it is again a very like expensive studio animated movie on a very small screen. It's one of those movies I would recommend seeing in a theater if you have the opportunity to do so. Okay. I'm not even sure if it's available, um, but it's really good, and you will love the references, <laughs> the All Terminator right. references, uh, the Mad Max references oh, in the wow. movie. Yeah, it is. Um, it is an animated movie for cinephiles for sure. And specifically your kind of cinephile. Oh God. The, the, the degenerate cinephiles yeah. you're referring to. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, it's a movie about the robot apocalypse. Yes. So it's nothing wrong with a robot apocalypse. It, it's know, all I've, you. It's I've been involved you, in quite a few robot apocalypses. They're, yeah. okay. they're okay. They're, they're, they're a trip. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I said I saw Ryan the last dragon, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really good. Okay. So I need to see that. Yeah. But I'm not paying thirty dollars to watch it on Disney Plus. I saw it in theaters, man. Yeah, <laughs> we're about to get some movies, man. Yes, I like, know. It tis the season. It's coming. It's yes, here. Yes, I know. Yeah, it's 2021. Is just it's just like this this like like wall where everything has just been catapulted at it, and like people don't know what to do with anything. Yeah, it's just everything splattered, and it's a mess. And it's like, all right, well, no, we're finally pouring Drano down the the pipeline. <laughs> we're getting too many movies, really. At the end, that's what it's going to be. Kinda, man. I, it's like there's a Saw movie coming out this weekend, but there's also like an Angelina Jolie, um, like uh, like prestige Taylor, drama. It's Taylor Sheridan. It's movie. Taylor. Sheridan wrote and directed. Apparently Spiral's not good, so. Yeah, I yeah. Wouldn't, another Chris Rock vehicle. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> what the hell? And then I guess Matrix fucking 4, which I've heard nothing about. Quiet Place comes out in like two weeks. Okay. Um, I, I think In the Heights is right around the corner as well. All right, I'm excited for that. And then we got that fucking West Side Story trailer, which we talked about. That I could not be more excited for that. Yeah. And then, of course, Dune later on, but we've expunged that enough. Yeah, but the, uh, the next month, though, specifically, like you look at that release schedule and mm, it is robust. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah. yeah. I'm very curious about the, the Matrix, though. Because I don't like those prior two movies, and I don't particularly care for the Wachowskis aside from that first Matrix movie. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested. Only one of them is directing it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I forget which one. We'll see. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious. It's out this year or next year? This year, I think. Okay. I'm definitely cur- curious. Oh yeah, I- it's coming to HBO Max, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But who knows? Who the hell knows? All right, let's talk about the movies in 1964. Mm. It's been a long time since 1964. Yes, yes it has. Um, the five movies nominated for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame are A Hard Day's Night, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, A Fistful of Dollars, Marnie, and Dr. Strangelove. A solid list. Mm-hmm. Many of these movies I watched for the first time this week. 
How many did you watch for the first time? Three of them. Ah. Three, three of them. Wow. And um, yeah, interesting. An interesting time for cinema. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, for me, well, that's a good question now that I think about it. There are two that are, sta- that are sta- I guess three that are standouts. One that is very interesting and one that is even more interesting, which we'll get to. Uh, yeah, this is a weird year in my opinion. <laughs> well, I have a, yeah. I, I can't quite square this one. It's a weird time for Hollywood. The 60s in general yeah. are like a weird time. We're sort of you know, one foot out the door of the old Hollywood system and one foot in the new one, but we haven't quite made the transition yet. So you have like auteurs like Stanley Kubrick really like breaking down barriers and pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And then you also have like very traditional big studio musicals. Um, This year I I wrote down some of the honorable mentions and I'll read them for you right now. Mary Poppins, my Mm. fair lady, um, Viva Las Vegas, the Elvis Presley movie. Like these are very traditional, just like big budget, big movie star studio vehicles. Um, and we could have nominated all of those. I think the ones that we did nominate, I'm, I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was a time where like Hollywood stars had to do everything and they were certainly asked to do everything yeah. in these movies. Cause the studio didn't know what to do. They didn't yeah. know what was going on. What it must've been a great time for movies though, where you can kind of do everything and they're just like, I don't know. Like the studios are basically trying to figure out what sticks. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the time I wish we lived in. It'd be nice to see movies that are that obscure. Like all these movies are, could not be more different from one another, mm. which I do find interesting. So there is that. Yeah. Mm. I, I like the sixties. It's a great decade. Yeah. Yeah. Some other honorable mentions for you. Goldfinger. Mm, yeah. The best Bond. Which I think we need to do a Bond, Bond podcast maybe when No Time to Die comes out. Okay. I'm down for that. Yeah. I, I've been curious about that. I haven't seen every single James Bond movie. Neither have I. Yeah, I may just do it. I've been thinking about it, but. I know. may just do it. I've seen most of them, like like the overwhelming majority, but it's like, there's, I think, how many are there? There's 25. There's going to be 25. Yeah, I think I'm like eight short. I've probably seen eight. In really? Oh, really? I've seen, um, well, I've seen probably three of the Conneries. Dr. No uh, from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. Yep. Oh. And I've seen Octopussy. <laughs> um, Never seen You Only Live Twice? That's a good one. I've not. Uh, Thunderball? Thunderball's great. I've not seen Thunderball. Ooh. Ooh. I've not seen Thunderball. Damn. And then I've seen all, all the Daniel Craigs and then probably a Pierce Brosnan movie. somewhere in there i've seen all of the pierce brosnan's one of them like i've seen in pieces i just know i've seen the entirety of the movie though because every time like it's on and i like choose to watch i'm like i've seen all this and then i shut it off yeah i don't remember what the one what that one is it's like the world's not enough uh tomorrow never dies. yeah that's the one that tomorrow never dies the most forgettable fucking entry probably ever but yes golden eye i love golden eye though so great video game yeah. Old school arcade video games. <laughs> Not arcade. Well, arcade But, yeah. it, you know, it's a shooter. It's good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll do that one day. Uh, and then you have three, um, like, Japanese horror thrillers that all came out this year. I'm curious if you've seen any one of them. Uh, Kwaidon? Uh No, I've heard of it, though. Onibaba? Heard of it again. And Woman in the Dunes? I've heard of all of those. I haven't seen a single one. Okay. Um, that came up in my research. I haven't seen any of them either. And uh, a, a movie that is already in the movie Hall of Fame, A Shot in the Dark, came out. Oh, really? This year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
Mary Poppins is your highest grossing movie, followed by My Fair Lady, Goldfinger, The Carpet Baggers, and From Russia with Love, a carryover from the year before. Best Picture, your nominees, Beckett, Dr. Strangelove, Mary Poppins, Zorba the Greek, and My Fair Lady wins in that category. George Kakor also wins for Best Director. Rex Harrison from My Fair Lady wins Best Actor. Julie Andrews, Best Actress for Mary Poppins. Uh, Peter Ustinov for Top Copy wins Best Supporting Actor. Don't know what that movie okay. is. And Lila Kedradova, Kedrova wins uh, Best Supporting Actress for Zorba the Greek. Have you seen My Fair Lady? No. Neither have I. Yeah. I have not heard good things about it, though. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll talk about my thoughts on musicals as we get through this conversation. But yeah. What's your favorite musical? <sighs> Grease. Really? Because I'm not a huge Grease fan. Yeah. I think Grease is fine. Yeah. Is it West Side Story for you? Singing in the Rain. Okay. I love Singing in the Rain. I love Singing in the Rain more than most movies. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Grease, but that's only because I have a very sentimental attachment to those songs. Okay. Yeah. And it's like the songs make or break it for me. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's it's sort of both for me. I like that the orchestration of musicals when they're done well. I mean, I don't know. Wizard of Oz is a musical, right? Yeah, that one has its its feet in a couple different places, though. That's a strange hybrid of a movie yeah. that I love dearly. But, like, you know, musical in the same way that, like, The Grease is? No. No. The, the, to me, they're almost two different beasts. Mm. Yeah. Muppet movie. Yeah, sure. Okay. Then that's mine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you could say South Park bigger, longer, and uncut. You could. Mm-hmm. And that might make my top five. Yeah, might make mine, too. <laughs> Find the clitoris. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's start here with a movie that I had not seen until uh, just this week. Today, as a matter of fact, you can stream it on the Criterion channel now. It's called A Hard Day's Night. You're just talking about musicals. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been working like a dog. Directed <laughs> by Richard Lester, starring John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. Fun fact about all, the, all four of those guys, they were all in The Beatles. I've never heard of The Beatles. <laughs> Nominated for Best <laughs> Original Screenplay yeah. and Best Score. Over two typical days in the life of the Beatles, the boys struggle to find themselves, to keep themselves and Sir Paul McCartney's mischievous grandfather in check yep. while preparing for a live television performance. Uh, delightful little movie. Uh, one that like doesn't offer anything to the viewer after leaving it but is thoroughly entertaining throughout. Like, I, I don't feel like I have learned anything or <laughs> changed it all as a person after this, but it brought me so much joy as I was watching it. I, I didn't really care. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies ever. I love this movie quite dearly. It means a lot to me. Mm. And I hadn't seen it in many years, so it was nice to revisit it. And just to be reminded, like, oh, my God, I, this movie's just so much fucking fun. And it's great to be with all these guys, just literally being uh, troublemakers. That's mm. basically the movie. The movie's not even about Beatles trying to, like, record a show. It's just about them being troublemakers. Right. Yeah, and just perfectly encapsulates, like, that spirit that kids had in the 60s. It's, like, it's both a great, like, archive piece, but also just an entertaining film all in 
on its own because Richard Lester shoots the shit out of this movie and he it's does. like so well edited something I didn't realize on the first viewing especially the opening like iconic scenes where they're just running down the streets and it's a cold open by the way I loved it they get you right into yeah, it it's yeah it's like the Beatles yeah and it works <laughs> yeah. it's it's just like I don't know it's like an adrenaline shot I love this movie just so much but the thing about about it that's like super surprising is just how well the Beatles actually work as yes. characters in this movie and how distinct they are and how they sort of form stories around the pop culture um image that's been formed like like the way like Ringo's story develops is sort of the way I guess he was viewed in the media at the time but they use that to their advantage to make it a little more I don't know uh, uh sympathetic mm. and it works really really well and everyone plays kind of how they that you would expect them to play but like I don't know like when you first see this movie you get a I, I don't know for me at least I get a better sense of who these people are yeah it's kind of just a movie about the Beatles. Like yeah, it's not yeah, yeah. really anything more than that. It's not a movie about life. It doesn't really like contemplate the, you know, our existence at much as much as it just does the existence of these <laughs> four specific people. And it's a jam at a very specific time. <laughs> yeah. And it is a jam, man. It's like, you know, in the sixties, you know, I think sort of shameless box office, um, grabs and, um, you know, uh, movies that were, were just trying to, you know, exploit a, a song catalog for a quick buck used movie stars as like sp- a special effect like that. Like that's what we have now, right? Like yeah. we think of spectacle as there's a lot of CGI in the movie and it will distract like, uh, you know, dumb sheeple for two hours in a dark room. And it's like, all right, fine. But I prefer when the people were the special effect. Yeah, well, and here the people yeah. are the special effect. Yes, um, and that's sort of what's gotten lost. I I don't think like it's any less empty than say Avengers Endgame. Like I I, I think both uh, sort of occupy the same space as just broad sort of studio um, money makers. But again, like I'll always take the people over the giant purple man. <laughs> sure, sure. It's got a lot of humanity though. Like it's all about spirit. Like that's just this movie when, right. I, when I, it's just like gleaming with personality when I watch it. So it's not an empty movie. I wouldn't go that far. That that's, that's, that's a little harsh in my opinion, but I see what you mean when you're talking about like, this is clearly a movie that was sort of like, like pushed by a studio to like capitalize on the popularity of the Beatles at the time. Right. But like, again, it's, I, I say this all the time. Like, it doesn't matter like where a movie comes from. Like if the movie's good, the movie's good and right. just leave it at that. The movie is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the movie is the thing. And yeah, this movie's awesome. It's amazing to see John Lennon being John Lennon before he lost his fucking mind. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> and they're all wonderful in the movie. Yes, they are. This was also a time. And I, I we just talked about this. If you're in show business, you're going to do the business of show mm-hmm. and it's all expected of you. Right. So, so often now, like a rapper or a pop star will appear in a movie and the joke is that they're a famous person in the movie and will forgive them for being bad. Like, you know, I think about like LeBron James in that Amy Schumer movie. Uh-huh. Everybody went crazy about LeBron James in that. He's awful in that movie. Yeah. And I, I am not like too optimistic about um, like his acting chops in the new Space Jam, if I'm being frank. Yeah, but that's Space Jam. Yeah. Michael Jordan wasn't very good in the first movie. Well, at least like Michael Jordan had a movie star like persona. He had that look. He, you know what I mean? When was the last time you've seen Space Jam? Not that long ago. Because I don't like, I, I've seen it fairly recently and I'm like, yeesh. 
boy, this is not good. <laughs> His acting isn't good. Yeah, 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 dude. It's not very good in my opinion. But but I, you don't find him charismatic in that movie? No, I, he's like stiff, especially in scenes where he has to act in what is obviously a fake room. And I get it, but like, yeah. it's just awkward. Huh. Yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it. We need to revisit it, I think, when we get to the sequel. We've been talking about doing it on Why Is This a Thing? We, yeah. we still need to do that thing where we revisit an old movie that we loved as kids and right. seeing if it still holds up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I think... Um, but, but anyway, so often, like we, we just excuse these bad performances by musicians and in 1964, like there's nowhere to hide, man. Like you're in show business now, you're young guys in their twenties fucking act. And these guys didn't make excuses for themselves. They just fucking act and they are all like really good. Yeah. I think John and Paul are clearly like more magnetic. And I think it makes sense why, you know, they became who they became and why the other two became who they became. But all four of them are very charming people. You don't realize, though, the movie's not, I mean, it's it's more about Ringo. Yeah. Both, both this and Help capitalize on, like, like the strange, like, puppy dog sensibility with Ringo. Because the movie, like, Help is about Ringo getting kidnapped by cultists. Okay. Which is a movie you should see. I haven't see. seen a single one of the Beatles movies until this one. You haven't seen y- Yellow Submarine? Have not. Again, that one's about Ringo, more or less. Huh. Straight. Like, like there's something about that character. Maybe it's just the underdog quality of him, but like people relate to him before they relate to Paul or Ringo. And like George is so esoteric that it's hard to even approach him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's interesting that these movies sort of capitalize on that persona and I, they use him very well. Even he's good in the movie for what he has to do, I guess. Mm. So yeah, no, they're all like pretty good. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just so refreshing because now it's like, you're only allowed to be good at one thing. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. everything has become, and you know, I think you, you take the good, you take the bad with that. There are very few like Renaissance men and women in show business anymore. Um, and no. you know, back then it was just, it was, it was not only more common, it was expected of you. Oh yeah. You could do But I mean, usually, I mean, I don't know. Who's a good Renaissance person. I do agree. Like not like back then when people had to dance and sing and act like, Oh my God, no one can really do that anymore. Right. Which is why it's so interesting when I see people now like get it right. But it's I so guess, rare. like Jamie Foxx is good at all of them. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I I'm sure, uh, uh, Oscar Isaac could dance. So they could probably get him to do that. I mean, an ex machina. That That's guy true. Yeah. 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 Well, well, you know what I mean? I'm about to tear up this dance floor. Not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Something a little more tasteful <laughs> instead of rapey dance. I'm about to tear up this dance floor. <laughs> oh, we know. It is the biggest crying. laugh of the decade for me. I know. You love that Oh, scene. my God. I love that scene. I that just, scene is I, so good. I find it very disturbing. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> Does the clap and the twirl. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what do we have now? We have Taylor Swift as a cat. Right. So there's that. And oh, her goodness. Her performance in Miss Americana is terrible. So there's also that. I need to see that still. <laughs> I need to get around to that. Yes, you do. Yeah, man. Um, the, the energy that these guys bring um, to every scenario yeah. is, it's just so much fucking fun and it's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is not like really something you think about the Beatles now. Um, like you think of them kind of as like lovable dweebs that made great music, but at no point do you like think of them as cool. But here they they do exude that cool energy. Like when, when I, I forget who it was, was it George that opens the, the cupboard and he just finds the guy in his underwear? Just, they all do. Yeah. yeah they all, okay. Yeah. Yeah, all of them go up and they go, there's a man in the cupboard. <laughs> who put the man in the cupboard? Put the man in the cupboard. Right. 
It's so dark in this tent, it reminds me of when we, the Beatles, the full Beatles, us from Liverpool. Oh yes, we are from Liverpool. We used to play in those dark clubs in Hamburg. Do you remember that, Paul? <laughs> I just played some audio from the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just love the sort of dismissiveness that they approach every situation and how they, nothing is that important. They just float. And I love yeah. that about their characters. They're just floating through every circumstance. Like even when they're needed, they could just be out in a field running around doing God knows what. And it's important to emphasize here about this movie is how important and iconic it is. I mean, Monty Python has ripped this thing off for like its entire catalog. I mean, music it's videos insane. for In 30 video- years like rip this off. Yeah. Like this is basically a long music video, this movie. Simpsons, um, I've seen everything. Everything yeah. rips this movie off. Sure. It's one of the most iconic movies ever made. Yeah. It's, again, it's 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 also another one of those great movies where it's like not a lot of people of our age have probably seen this, mm. but it's one of those movies you know it even if you haven't seen it. So Yeah, I mean, but also the songs are ubiquitous Well, yeah, I know. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know the song, something's the, the matter with you. Yeah. There is a scene in the movie though where the Beatles are in a club and they're literally dancing to all my loving and yeah. that kind of threw me threw me off like what universe are we what, living is that in pretentious now? it's too much for you well it's <laughs> like no but it, it all this always sends me down the rabbit hole of is all my loving a real song in this universe dude they're the they're that called they the beatles hurt. yeah but is that a beatles song that they're dancing to probably so they just went to a nightclub. They played one of their own songs and started dancing to it. Who knows if they even play their own song. It might've just come on. Someone's like, I want to hear all my loving. And they're like, okay, we'll dance to it. Yeah. It always, always sets me up. Love John in the bathtub. <laughs> oh that my was a God. Great that's scene. a great moment. Yeah. Um, the grandpa's just great throughout yes. the whole movie. It's a clean old man. Clean old, <laughs> clean old man. That's my grandfather. Just so much. So much loving, really, you know, just yeah. so much love, so much, uh, just a warm blanket of a movie, this thing. It, no, it, it, honestly, no malice. It's infectious. I just love it. Just like, like I, I could watch this movie at any point in the day. I really do just get a kick out of it. Yes. You know, Despite it, the fact that it was probably like an exploitative studio, um, you know, I don't care. Yeah, I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's like 1964, right in the middle of Beatlemania. They're like, how do we figure out a way to monetize these songs even yes. more? Yes. <laughs> Right. So it comes from, uh, you know, the, the most, uh, the most questionable of circumstances, but really it, the, the final product is just such a lovely thing. We're talking about this pocket, not even close to the most questionable movie on this list. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> we'll get there. We will get there. I am really excited for your hot take on this thing. Oh yeah. Well, it, I don't know if it's a hot take. Okay. It's something. Okay. <laughs> That's a hard day's night. Yeah. Liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it to death. Uh, okay, next, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, <laughs> written and directed by Jacques Demi, starring your girl, Catherine Denevive from Repulsion, and Nino Castelnuevo, nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Song, Best Original Score, Best Adapted Score, don't ask why, and Best Foreign Language Film. A young woman separated from her lover by war faces a life altering decision umbrellas of Sherborg really explains damien chazelle's whole vibe doesn't it <laughs> yeah so the jazzy thing i think i got into it thinking it was going to be like beat for beat la la land and it's not it's not it's got a lot of the same like spirit as la la land the ending is the same basically yeah yeah more or less doesn't play the same way in my opinion you know one is is there's a little and it, there's a lot of weight to the ending of this one, though, that it hits even harder for me. Hmm. It's an interesting movie that I 
and I started watching this and I'm just like, Oh boy. Okay. I got to like adjust to this thing now. Right. Yeah. It takes, it takes a minute. Oh, I didn't think I was going to work, you know, having to watch this movie. <laughs> like no. I didn't know I was on the clock. Yeah. No, you, well, you, you I, and I was thinking about you, especially I'm like, yeah. Oh boy, there's no fucking way Nico likes this. And I have to admit the, it, it, the movie gets going and I don't have any issue with this movie for like the first two acts. It's fine. You know, for if, the, 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 the big thing was, I think I was expecting more from the story mm. and it gets going along. I'm like, everything here is fine. And I'm, I'm liking this, this sort of whimsical, you know, colorful approach to a musical. Uh, it took me off guard, but I start, I started to sink into it and then it gets to the third act and all of a sudden things just start like clicking for me. I felt the same way, and I wonder if it's just that we got through an hour of the movie, and that's how long it takes for your brain to like adjust. Maybe. Do you know what I'm saying? No, but I, I mean, like, clicks, like, it started, like, really, really working and emotionally affecting me in a way that it wasn't in the first two acts. Wow. And I was, I sort of realized, like, you know something? Like, a lot of this works because it's complementing that, that, the, 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 the other half of the movie. And the the other half of the movie, you know, needs to happen in order for this part to work as well as it does. And I just started noticing a lot of the the, the clever tricks with when the music is used, like like the jazzy music in the garage and how perfectly suitable that is for a garage setting mm. versus like the way it's used in uh, the, the, the umbrellas of Cherbourg shop. And, you know, I kind of realized, you know, something I l- sort of loved the movie from the start. Hmm. There was something about it that just sort of like seeped its way into my subconscious and it just took a while to bloom. But by the end of it, I was like, oh, oh yeah, I love this movie. Mm. Yeah. I sort of realized, you know something, this is a very, very, very special movie. And I don't know if it's entirely my thing, but like, I honest to God, I wanted to watch it again as soon as I was done watching it. <laughs> this is objectively a masterpiece. That's like kind of how I yeah. feel about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like everything here is so precise. I mean, from the open, really, when you see that overhead shot of the umbrellas, yes. like everything is so perfectly choreographed. The the colors and the production design and the cinematography. Outstanding. I, I mean, it's like, how do Outst- you like get a camera to do this? It's like yeah. one of the, especially in the year 1964. Like, yes. how does the technology exist for you to create something like this visually striking? Mm-hmm. Um, it's something you can only really paint and it's, yes. it's kind of amazing watching a guy like pull this up. J- Jacques Demi is, um, you know, one of the great French filmmakers of all time. And, um, I, I understand why I, I definitely do get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's, so it's a musical where every word is sung. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's sort of something that we accept on Broadway and occasionally there'll be like movie adaptations, like say cats or Les, Les Miserables or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the time, I don't think there were a ton of movies quite like this one. No. Um, so, yeah, the, the the songs are not big set pieces. There, there's not a ton of like background dancers and, and fancy choreography. It's like it's not about that at all. Right. It, it is grounded and it's slice of life. It just so happens that everybody is singing lines that they normally would speak. And I just that's just not my jam. It's not my thing. And I and I try so desperately hard to detach myself yeah. from my previous biases as I'm watching it. And I, I do kind of have a hard time. The other thing is it's in French and like whatever. I don't have a problem with forward movies. But that's not my my particular gripe here. I do generally have a problem, though, when I'm watching a movie and they sing a song in another language and you read the words and translate as the lyrics go mm-hmm. because something is lost there and it always yep. gives you like a weird 
I don't know, like it's a weird uncanny valley thing. The poetry is lost is the problem. precisely right. The poetry is lost. Yeah. And it's not just like a rhyming thing. Um, it's sometimes just like how words sort of interact with one another and how one word looks or sounds next to another one. Were you conscientious of the subtitles, though? Yes, I was. I don't remember the subtitles at all okay. in this movie. That's the difference, I think, is that I, I, again, it's another one of those great examples of a movie where I forgot I was reading subtitles, it, hmm. you know, in like the same way it was for me with like high and low. You just, you just remember the movie hmm. and it's exactly the same way. Yeah. So. I, fair enough. I, I just think like, you know, if, if a hard day's night was, and it's a hard day's night. And I was working in the garage. No, that's like, you know what I mean? Like, and that might be how it translates in another language. And something is lost there. Obviously music is a universal language Mm -hmm. if you don't translate it. Yeah, exactly. But the second you translate it, then that universality sort of goes away. It is one of those movies though, where if I didn't have the subtitles, I still would have been able to pick up on most of what the movie was laying down. And it would have been, in my opinion, even more lovely. Yes. Because you can just sort of immerse yourself in the vibe of those words. Yep. When you start thinking about lyrics literally, I mean, that's not music, right? It's not poetry. Yeah. It, that's just not what it is. <laughs> Unless you're uh, uh, Emma Thompson. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So like you're, you can write a song where two people are asking each other, what are you going to do tonight? Yeah. I'm going to the theater. Oh, I'm not a really big fan of the theater, which is how this movie opens. Yeah, just yeah. like discussing plans. Mm-hmm. Totally fair game to write a song like that. But the poetry of the words is is what makes that material worthy of a song. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's just the constant sort of tug of war in my brain of like this movie is clearly you know, it would work if I spoke the language. Yes. Yeah. And it and it would and and it does work visually. Oh yeah, it does. It certainly works visually, no question about it. Um, but yeah, my my brain is just it's being pulled in both a literal direction and a poetic direction at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. And that I think is where the cognitive dissonance oh, I, comes I, through. I was feeling that at the beginning too, and that's that's part of what I was I was getting at. I think it it takes a minute to adjust to the fact that the 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 script here I get, yeah, it's a script is built around the language of French. Mm. So there are instances where they do rhyme and you can hear it, right. but it only works in French. Whereas like, if you were to say it yourself, it wouldn't work at all. Like uh, us anyway. Sure. Um, but like I said, you get used to it. Like I really got used to it, particularly by that third act. I got more used to it. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think the third act is perfect. I don't think there's a single conceivable thing wrong with it. And it's absolutely beautiful and heartbreaking mm. and the ending could not be better. It is just a perfect ending, mm. you know, in every conceivable way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of exactly what I wanted. And it's one of those movies like, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like visually, like it, it's funny because you start off and like, I see what you, you're, you're saying about that. Like that, that, that opening shot with the umbrellas is, is, is like flawless, but when you get into the scenes of people just standing around and singing, it takes a minute to notice like the directorial moves, but like just when they push back from the, from, from the people to when they decide to push in to emphasize like a relationship shift is just so smart. It's like the best kind of direction you can get. Mm. And yeah, there's just lots of like little great little like nuanced directorial moves like that, that are just sort of embedded in me here. You mm. know, it's a very, I, I, I guess you could say it's an understated movie in its direction, in my opinion. In some ways. Yeah. 
Well, but then you get the production design and, yeah. and then it's like, whoa. Yeah. Like when the room color changes. But that, but again, it's not as broad as most musicals, but it still no. looks like musicals. Dude. No, it definitely does. You know, but there's a great, like, like, for example, like when the production design adapts to like the character's power. Mm. So like, you'll go from a scene with, uh, uh, Genevieve and the room is entirely blue because she's wearing blue, which means that she's like, like one upping her mother, but then she gets mad and storms out into another room. And this room is like the color of like pink and red. Right. And at this point she's like sitting down and she's struggling to like, like convince her mother, but her mother's standing over her and the, the color of the room matches the color of the mom, which means that she's taking control right. and stuff like that. And it's just really, really conscientious of things like that throughout. Sure. But the actors, the way they're cued, they're not playing to the back row. No. You know what I mean? It's a film. Right. It's a film. Exactly right. It is a film, even though it looks like sort of a theatrical production. It's a nice blending for me, though. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I love it. A hundred percent. And yeah, I, I don't want to sound like I, I'm, I'm, being, uh, I'm being difficult here. <laughs> Ignorant? Guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to. What's, I, your, what's your problem with the French, Nico? Nothing, man. I love the French. They gave me fries. Haven't you seen... <laughs> <laughs> they didn't give you fries, you fucking... <laughs> Forget. <laughs> like I'm just explaining to you like why I was unable to sink into it in the way that I wish that I could. Have. Oh, no, no, no. I understand why. I th- that's the thing. I was watching it and at a certain point I you know, I always think of you when I see a movie like this. I'm but, sorry. You know, it's 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 hard not to. That's tough. That's you know, tough when, when I have to come on and talk about it too. Cuz this one's been on my list for fuck knows how long. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Mine too. Uh, but yeah, no, like, like I just know that this isn't quite your thing mm. and you know me, I love shape of water. So, right. <laughs> so right. it's, 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 it's easy. It was much, much easier for me. I can say that it didn't take me that long to really get into it, but I, but I, I do understand exactly where you're coming from because through a good portion of the movie, I was like, Ooh, okay, Adam, get your, you know, get your straps on. You got to adjust, man. Right. You know, and you have to let your guard down too. You have to let the movie do what it wants to you. And, and I, I do think like the story is a compelling one. And I think the character dynamics are, uh, quite sincere. The execution is compelling. I wouldn't say the story on paper is anything. Well, no, we've seen it a thousand times. I would just tell people like, it's about a guy who goes away and then his wife leaves him and has a kid with another family. Sure. He goes to the military too. And then spoiler alert, they meet each other years later and, uh, yes. Wonder about what could have been. Exactly. You know, sure. Exactly. La La Land yeah, ends no. the same way. I mean, Damien Chazelle, like all of the pans that he uses, particularly in La La Land, but in all of his movies. Sort of. But you're talking about like the, the musical pans. Which yes. are, that's very him. I don't know if it's quite here, but. Right. Friggin', well, no, no, not that quick, but just like the way that the camera sort of tracks the characters through these very like brightly lit mm-hmm. scenes and rooms. Also, like Guy and Madeline are the two characters in this movie yeah. and uh so guy madeline on a park bench i still haven't seen that you know yeah it's okay it's okay, okay. it's very like like mumblecore and it's, okay. it's a mu- musical mumblecore it's interesting very very low budget student-ish student-ish film i think it is a student film uh but yeah it's it it's good it's good it's more i think it's more your thing than my thing okay yeah those scenes by the way like where they're like when um em- emma stone goes to her friend's house and she's you know it's got the uh ing- uh ingrid bergman uh a thing on her wall or whatever, you know, when she's in her house, sure. that the way the camera's like flowing from room to room to person to person felt a lot like this too. So, yes. Yeah. And yeah, that movie definitely has that vibe. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just like perfectly choreographed. And if anything, yeah. you can watch this with the sound off and just admire like just the visual storytelling and the craft. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just like an incredible display of someone's cinematic technique. Yep. 
And, you know, a lot of times movies from 1964, that's what they're like. Um, I, I, I don't feel that way about some of the other movies on this list. So, like, that's why it's not my favorite. But, yeah, I mean, an important movie, a, a really good movie. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to run in anybody's parade. <laughs> if you love it, I have no problem with you loving it. You yeah. probably should. I'm the one in the wrong, man. My brain is the one that's broken. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Mm. Okay. Yep. Next up. A Fistful of Dollars. Mm-hmm. Directed by Sergio Leone. Starring Clint Eastwood in his first leading role. Yep. You have the music queued up for this one. I wish you did. I don't. <laughs> Turns out I do. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Any Morricone. Ugh, so good. He's going to get it. The goat. R.I.P. We stand a king. Too good. Too good. I'm trying to think if the thing I was just whistling was from a few dollars more or this. I want to say it's used in this, but I, I'm i not entirely sure. Uh, this uh, is about a wandering gunfighter who plays two rival families against each other in a town torn apart by greed, pride, and revenge. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. The the uh, the movie that obviously put Clint on the map. Yeah. It's the movie that put Leone on the map. It's the the movie that you know essentially led to this avalanche of uh, spaghetti westerns in like mm-hmm. the sixties, and I think like changed the genre. Um, certainly demystified it in some ways, and uh, you know created a, a a sort of different cowboy myth in other ways. You know, sort of deconstructed the genre and rebuilt it back. You know, yeah in a very unexpected way. I sort of look back on this movie and I'm amazed that it exists because it's so gross and it's so like, like out there and, and stylized and it's like, you know, it's, you know, Sergio Leone, like, you know, this feels like Tarantino could have made it right in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, you know, obviously you see like the massive influence that Tarantino has had because of this movie sure. and whatnot. But like, it, it it's just got you know I, I feel like I've I've already I've been dancing around this but yeah the the amount of style in this movie versus like what you get out of something like the Searchers is just kind of unbelievable yes and just using the medium of film in ways that they didn't even consider right. all those years ago right it's just got so much personality yes this movie and 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 just like it, but it's not just the filmmaking like the screenplay actually kind of rocks mm. and I love, I love it to death. <laughs> I mean, it's a movie about yeah. faces. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing about Leone, all of his yeah. movies, they're about yeah. faces. They're about the human face. Kurosawa is the same way. And you know, in many ways, this is like just a remake of, of, of a lot of Kurosawa movies, it, right? It's a shot for shot remake of Yojimbo. Right. It is basically Yojimbo. No, right? no, 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 no. It is a shot for shot <laughs> remake of Yojimbo. Yeah. You have to like, this, this is the thing about the movie and some people, uh, sometimes give it a little too much credit because Yojimbo is the coolest movie ever made. Uh-huh. Uh, I still haven't seen it. Hell, I need to do it. But like, there is a line in Yojimbo where uh, Toshiro Mifune is like, uh, uh, get two coffins. Yeah. And then and this comes, one's like, get three coffins. No, but at the end of that scene, he kills a bunch of guys and he's right. like, make it three. Yeah. 
They, they yeah. It's, oh it's, shit! It's, it's it's the same movie. Because yeah. yeah, I was I rewatched about half of this before the show today. Yeah, because uh, I hadn't seen it in a while. It's uh, this is probably around college. I, I watched all three of these things. Um, but but yeah, like that line when it's coming out of Clint's mouth is the coolest fucking thing ever. Oh, I did God. not know that Kurosawa did it first though. Yep. Yep. Fucking Mifune, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. This movie's unbelievable. I love it like more than anything. And it's amongst my favorites. There's a few films on here that are amongst my favorites, honestly, mm. but like, yeah, one of the coolest movies ever made as well. But yeah, like people have to recognize, like give Yojimbo a shot mm. because it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I will say it's probably my least favorite of this trilogy. Um, really? And it's my second. Okay. Yeah, it's my second. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I love all three of them. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, f- uh, for a few dollars more, just a hair below this one. It definitely has that sort of rugged rough around the edges quality. And Leone is figuring it out. He is figuring sure. the style out. Like I, I might like once upon a time in the West better than all three, to be honest with you. Not, wow. Yeah, I, I fucking adore that movie. Cool. Um, and like that to me is just like Leone's craft in its final form. <laughs> and it's just, you know, ultimate evolution. Cause I think a lot of people would argue this is where Leone becomes Leone. And that's probably right. Mm. You know, in the same way that like mean streets is where Scorsese becomes Scorsese. Sure. So there's and, that. Yeah. And that's what's happening here. Yeah. Like the, he's not quite there yet though. Like he's yeah. like, he doesn't have the confidence to just put the camera on Clint's face for <laughs> 15 seconds. Like he does it for like seven. Mm hmm. But then once upon a time in the West, like you just spend five minutes of fucking Charles Bronson, like just trying to swat a fly away from his face. Is it essentially how that movie opens? I don't think he does. He doesn't care about the fly. He's he's using the harmonica and they're on the train tracks, which right. is amongst the best openings ever filmed. It's a fucking unbelievable. Yeah, yeah I know. It's what do you want? Me yeah, to but say? like that, that scene breathes in a way that nothing in this movie quite breathes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that's just like, you know, a consequence of being young and just starting out and trying to figure out what exactly your style is and digging into your style and your identity being like, Nope, this is it. This is who I am and going for it, you know, but I love seeing the source code, man. I I love seeing the the, the first uh, crack at the egg and And it's a great crack at the egg. Don't get me wrong. That's the thing. So yeah, I don't know. I think this movie sings in a way that for a few dollars more doesn't quite, it's much more entertaining in my opinion, a, a little bit more iconic and, I think just what, what Clint is asked to do in this story is just, I, I just honestly, I love this story. They've remade this thing a, a couple times, this particular story, and it never gets old. Mm. Every variation on it works. Every variation is fun and it sort of has its own voice. And uh, yeah, even though like, like I will say like, this is a pretty strict remake in my opinion of Yojimbo. It does have its own interesting uh, Italian I- identity. Yes. That's the thing. There are a lot of like cultural elements to Yojimbo that make it what it is, of course. And, and it's the same way here, you know, and a lot of technical elements, which are perfectly janky mm. <laughs> in this, particularly the dubbing, of course, which I don't care about. You know, yeah, I, I, it's, I have a problem with it, man. Really? I, I, yeah, I have. I had a I, problem with it in eight and a half. I have a problem with it here. Like uh, oh, Italian movies that do that. It's in all of his movies. Like it's in Once Upon a Time in, Ho- in the West. No. Yeah. No, 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 yeah, no. It is. That movie's dubbed. They're, yeah, dude, it's a talent. They're always dubbed. If it's, a, if it's a spaghetti Western, it's probably all dubbed. Yeah. Is that right? I bet you it is. Mm-hmm. I gotta look this up now. Uh, was it, it is a ho- was it a Hollywood film though? No, I think it was produced in Italy. I bet you it's dubbed. Um. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I'm not saying anything about that. 
I'd find it hard to believe. Uh, the new, there is new footage that uh, is dubbed, and it's often jarring. Mm-hmm. In the extended cut, they used they used dubbing. Okay, but no, the original one does not. Are you sure? It says it does. It it says it was not dubbed. I do find that hard to believe, just because that's just how they made Italian movies back then. I don't believe so. I, I would have to go back and and look, yeah. maybe research this more. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think so, though. I remember some of those scenes with Peter Fonda. I don't. I don't think they were dubbed. All right. I could be wrong. I don't know. I yeah, I mean, it, it does have a it does have a, generally like a, a weird effect on me, and I don't know. I guess if I if I watched all three of these movies in a row, like I'd eventually get used to it. But it never even bothered me when I saw it, and maybe that's just because they're old, and I just kind of get used to some of the I don't know the shortcomings of of what they had to work with in that era. But like, it's just I don't know. I don't know. Some of these technical things, I don't know why they've, they've never really bothered me. Mm. You know, it just, it sort of is what it is. It's part of this world. I'll tell you what bothers me even more though. And I noticed this on the rewatch, just that like all the Mexicans are played by Italians. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like they don't even make an effort to like try to be Mexican. Okay. I have a good friend of mine though, who is, is it? He's like almost a hundred percent Italian. The only thing that doesn't make him Italian is the fact that he can't speak uh, Italian. <laughs> Does he say Gabagool a lot? <laughs> he says Arrivederci. <laughs> Gorlami. Gorlami. <laughs> but I. Grazie. I, I, I'm sorry if this is offensive to anybody, but I like I've been with him. I can't tell you how many times he's been mistaken for a Mexican kid. Really? It's really just because he's so dark. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. It's really odd. And I'm like, what? It's like, I was like, oh, okay. I don't know. It's just bizarre. Does he look Mexican? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. But people have said that to him, and it's really jarring. Huh. <laughs> people said it. Like, he still says, tells me these stories. It's like, yeah, I go into clubs, and people assume I'm, I'm, I'm Mexican, and it's really annoying. And I'm like, what the fuck? What? What? what the- it's odd. It's odd. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just a little caught off guard when, like, a a dude that is clearly Italian is like, you got to get the gringo. Like, <laughs> dude, like just cast Americans. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, don't think that we're so stupid. We're not going to realize that they're clearly Italians. Wait, so you, whoa, 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 whoa. they're clearly Italians playing Mexicans <laughs> and they're trying to get one over on us because their skin is darker. But cast Americans to play Mexicans? No, cast Mexicans to play Mexicans. That would oh. be my note. But okay. like, if you're going to... Who are you, Orson Welles? <laughs> no, that's my note. It's just generally like a Mexican to play Mexican. But like, if you're going to... You're not slick. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not slick. Okay. You're not fooling anybody. Just drop the pretense altogether. <laughs> just be like Chernobyl, right? It's just all British dudes playing Russians. Like, that's cool. Uh, what's the was the guy in 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 um um what the fuck is the movie in uh the good the bad and the ugly that movie that no one likes sure uh <laughs> um uh what's that that actor's name uh Elia or Elia Elia Kazan no 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 the ugly oh. I think he's pretty convincing as that as that role you know good. he might be Spanish though. Uh, what the hell is that? Lee Van Cleef. No. Uh, Eli uh, Wallach. Eli, Eli Wallach. Eli Wallach. 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 I don't know how you say his name. Yeah. But he's pretty convincing in that. I don't believe he's the ethnicity of the character he's playing. Okay. 
So yeah, know. but here they're not getting one over on anybody. Like they're just speaking in Italian accents, and they're <laughs> and they're like, "Got to kill those Mexicans!" <laughs> Come on, guys. I don't know what are we doing here. I wasn't particularly distracted. It's by 1964. It. I get I, it. I don't but, know. Uh, yeah, I just like I, I would prefer the um uh the uh with the death of Stalin like method where it's just. Steve Buscemi's just going to talk like Steve Buscemi yeah. and we're not going to get bogged down by the accent but work. It's not a comedy though. This movie, th- then yeah. it starts to become funny. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> and that's, that's not the point. That is part of it. Yeah, so I don't know. It, it I didn't really make me, you know, like raise an eyebrow when yeah. I, when I saw it, I've seen it a couple times too. It's always kind of worked. Hmm. No, it's a good movie. Um, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. It, it's a really good movie. An important movie. Very I important. mean, the second Clint just walks on screen, it's like, Oh yeah, this dude, this dude just mm. has it. Like he, he just, he had it by the time he got to make this movie. Um, and it, it is like low key, one of the most important decisions um, in, in the history of Hollywood going to Italy and Oh, that he made. Yeah. If, yeah. For him and really just for the industry in general, like, you know, the, the sort of uh, the evolution of the Western um, as a, as a more like operatic, um, you know, broad movie with, you know, lots of close-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, really just changes cinema for the next like 30, 40 years. Oh yeah. Has yeah. a profound impact on a lot of the movies of the seventies as well. And then like Clint's influence, you know, just mm. everything it's, you know, it's this movie that he didn't want to do too, mm. you know, and he got there. He's frustrated by the fact that everyone was speaking uh, Italian and he couldn't speak a goddamn word. Well, once upon a time in Hollywood, like deals with the same question. Like yeah. Leo just desperately does not want to go over to Italy. <laughs> Those Italian westerns. Those Italian westerns. They're awful. Yeah. That's my favorite line in the movie. Yeah. Have you ever seen an Italian picture? <laughs> they're awful. <laughs> it's just the delivery is perfect. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, but can't be understated how how much of a turning point this movie is in the career of a lot of people and also the industry. Yes, I agree. It's an awesome movie, dude. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. That's a fistful of dollars. Yeah. Also, yeah. Murricone. Yeah, I don't you can't undersell that. Yeah, but not his best score. I'll say that for sure. Not his best score. What is his best score? No. Probably good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> as, as as easy of an answer as it is, it's <laughs> like you know nothing is better than ecstasy of gold. So yeah, nothing's better. Next up, oh Marnie, Marnie, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Tippi Hedren and Sean Connery. I'll take whore ads for 400. <laughs> I'll take the penis mightier. <laughs> That's the pen is mightier for Sean Connery. Mark marries Marnie. Although she is a habitual thief and has serious psychological problems. You don't say and tries to help her confront and resolve them. <laughs> Another movie just like Connery walks in the room. It's like, oh my God, this guy's the sexiest fucking guy ever. Yeah, not the most compelling actor, though. <laughs> you don't like him in this movie, huh? All right, you got to get all this off your chest. Something's been haunting you. Yeah, yeah, like, this is a bizarre fucking movie, man. It's weird. This is a weird one. I don't, like, hate this movie, so I, I wasn't going to come on here and bash it. I just need to, like, talk about it and figure it out. Okay. Um, it's funny we were talking about Repulsion earlier, because this movie could have taken a lot of notes from Repulsion, and it would have been a better movie. Hmm. <sighs> This is a movie about a kleptomaniac Mm. and it starts off very Hitchcockian and sporadically is Hitchcockian. But a lot of the movie is like talking heads discovering why is Marnie a kleptomaniac 
and the hero of the movie is the hero of the movie because he's he wants to have sex with Marnie, basically, and he can't quite get her to do it. <laughs> and yeah, he, that might be the whole thing, huh? Yeah. The whole movie is like, she can't even touch men, you stupid bitch. <laughs> it is kind of about an insecure guy that just like wants what? to like have just, sex. Right. And he rapes yeah, but just, her. But wants to like figure out how to have sex with this woman. Yes. That's like because that's he, the, yeah, it's kind of conflict like, of the movie. Yeah. He's like a fragile guy that just wants to conquer. And yeah, the kleptomaniac is the one girl he can't figure out. And he rapes her. It's heavily implied that that is a rape scene on the boat or wherever. That's what it is. Yeah, that's ba- yeah, that is a rape scene. Yeah, and he's the hero of the movie. The movie pre- pre- presents him as like the guy who is right in all of this. Right. Yeah, and it ends with like, oh yeah, Connery finally like yeah figured it out. He cracked the code. <clears throat> don't know about this one, man. I don't know about this one. I'm very on the fence. Mm-hmm. I. I uh, uh. It's so funny because it starts off like comically Hitchcockian. Like the first shot is a bag of money. Right. And the color of that bag stands out amongst everything else. Right. And the camera the is just tracking yeah, it in exactly. close up. Yes. And, and it starts out like maybe we're not going to have another Hitchcockian blonde <laughs> to the point where she washes it out of her hair. <laughs> she washes the black, the black hair. <laughs> the black dye out of her hair. <laughs> like, oh my God. It it's ridiculous. Yeah, you're right. It is a movie that has no business being a Hitchcock movie, but Hitchcock just just like inserts himself into this. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And this is what I was this is my ultimate like, point. Like to the point where his cameo actually stands out. Yeah. Usually lo- the Hitchcock cameos don't stand out that much. No, because usually he's just walking across the street. This he like comes out for no fucking reason exactly. and looks at the camera. It's like get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Alfred. Yeah, it's like what right. are you doing? I know. Like I want to get to know Marnie a little bit more and you keep like pulling your bullshit. Yeah, and it's um I, I, I'm not sure he was the correct guy for the job here. The, and part of my part of my issue with that is that like dealing with this subject is, I mean, to me, it's by nature it's nuanced. Mm. I mean, like stuff like this. Well, not necessarily in 1964, though. I guess. Well, then don't make the fucking movie. Yeah. Like, I, like this is a this is a character who gets their kicks by like just stealing sugar packets. That's mm. what a real kleptomaniac is going to do. They're not going to go and s- steal from a bank. Right. They're just going to take shit. Yes. And you have to play that as like like this horrifying affliction that you can explore in the, in the most quiet ways, which is why I kept thinking about repulsion and how that movie plays enti- basically entirely silently in the way it explores that girl. Mm. And the payoff is amazing. And it's, it's a horror movie yeah. as it should be. And this, I kept thinking should have gone in a similar direction. And whenever Hitchcock tried to insert himself into the scene, particularly with the exposition, it just, I, I'm just going to be honest. It didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work for me at all. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, it. He, he, yeah, he inserts MacGuffins and Chekhov's guns and mystery boxes into yep. what is a pretty like somber character study. Yes, it should like psychological should be. thriller, or yeah, what it should be, and it is there. I mean, like under the surface, it is there. Um, but then you know, there's just a close up of a key. Mm-hmm. You know, and he tries to, and, and that's exactly what he does. He structures the movie as a mystery. Why yeah. is Marnie this way? Yes. And, you know, the reveal is supposed to play like Norman Bates, you know, uh, you know, emerging from the darkness with a wig on. And you just know it from the beginning. Yeah, I'm sorry. You yeah, you kind of do know where it's going. Yeah. But whereas Repulsion, it does have that twist at the end, but it at least 
gets there organically. Mm, like it yes, is yes. like an organic unraveling and it's just, we're going to follow this character and whatever dark hallways we have to walk down to learn about this psyche. We're going to go there. Um, this one is, yeah, structured as, um, you know, like a, like a pretty standard Hitchcock mystery. Yeah. Um, and it's not really the mystery that we're that concerned about throughout this thing. It's like just Marnie and just like what the fuck she's going to do next. Yeah. You know? But the problem is whatever she does next, it's not that like, like, I don't know. It doesn't really, I don't really care. Mm. Everything she does that's like supposed to be surprising or unnerving. It's just like, yeah, yeah, fine. It, it is what it is. It's only so compelling to me. Like where she shoots the horse, mm. which is not a well done scene, by the way. It's it's huh. so weird and janky. And <sighs> I don't know how I feel about Tippi Hedren in this too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's hit or miss. Sometimes I really like her and then other times I'm like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I she is the one Hitchcock collaborator that could have played this role. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if like Kim Novak could have done a better job. Yeah. Okay. Grace Kelly couldn't have though. Right. I kept thinking about Grace Kelly. I kept thinking, put Grace, put, put her and, 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 um, what's his name from the, the fucking God damn it. My, his girl Friday. Oh, uh, Gene. Uh, no, uh, great. Yeah, I was thinking Gene Kelly. It's not Gene Kelly. It's uh, fuck. Cary Grant. Cary, Cary Grant. Grant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah, like, like, but like, he because he's used him in Notorious, and like, like, oh my god, that's such a good movie. And you know, like, I just thought like he would have played a more charismatic lead than Connery in this. And this is the other big issue is like these two just don't really work next to each other. I'm sorry. Yeah, back to the psychological thing. Like, even Vertigo, like, you know, that is a movie that shows you a, a moment of trauma at the beginning, mm-hmm. and like it is a recurring thing that haunts Jimmy Stewart throughout that entire movie, but it, it, it still feels more organic. The, the progression of that story, even though there's like a major third act twist, Mm -hmm. like that movie is still about vibe and it's about like characters that spend enough time together and fall in love and come to distrust one another. And like, you know, vertigo is one of the great movies of all time, but there I feel like Hitchcock struck a perfect balance between like, you know, legit like character in interrogation yeah. and also like Hollywood trickery. Oh, formalism, like sometimes to a fault. Right. I mean, that's an amazing movie, but yes. this is that other end of the coin where maybe you go a little too far with that. Yes. And Hitchcock has I- I expressed himself. Like he was always, he always regretted that he didn't like let go a little more and be a little more experimental. Cause he sort of admitted like in the, you know, by the end of his career that He's done the same tricks his entire life, mm. and that 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 was it because that's what he was known for, and that's maybe what he felt like he had to do. But yeah, he always regretted that he didn't get more ambitious with his films, mm. which is interesting. That's maybe a harsh criticism to throw at himself, but I understand where he's coming I mean, from. He, in a way, uh, yeah, but, uh, he pushed that ball up the hill, though, sure, yeah. for so many people yeah. that were making movies around the same time as him. So like, yeah, yeah he I think he did about as good as he could have done given the circumstances of the industry at the time. Yes, I agree. You know? I mean, it, I'll say this, the movie, it's a, it's amazing. Like this is a strange movie to exist even in the sixties. Yes. Honestly, like I, like I, I didn't expect the movie to be this at mm. all. And even that I'm like, yeah, like I, I can't believe he was allowed to make this. Mm. This in many ways feels more controversial than psycho sometimes. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are some great Hitchcock moves. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's plenty of that like awesome 
formalism there, like where she's stealing the stuff from like the safe. Oh my so, god, that scene's incredible. Awesome scene where they do like the split screen with the janitor, or yeah, whatever the cleaning. Oh, lady. it's great. It's a split screen without a split screen. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, like yeah. that is a great little like just beautifully staged and and, and choreographed shot with ex- excellent composition. Everything about that's perfect. Mm. And the movie is like littered with like like. Like for every like bad like scene or put it this way, every like two bad moments, there's like one great moment, but then you get like two more bad moments and then a great moment and then a bad, it's like, and that's, I guess why I kept coming out like, God, I don't know how I feel about this movie. Mm. How did you feel about the movie though? Yeah, I, I liked it. I was entertained by it as I was watching it just because I really like Hitchcock movies mm-hmm. and his tricks work because they are built to work and they work on all sorts of audiences, even 60 years later, 70 years later. So yeah, I think it, it it worked on me. Um, like as you said, that bat that that shot when she's stealing the money from the safe and when she's like in the bathroom stall and like the score drops. By the way, it's a great Bern- Bernard Herman score as well. Like he just sort of he kills it here. But when the the score sort of drops out and Marnie's just sitting there and the the shot doesn't cut and you hear the the like the coworkers shuffle out of the bathroom and it's mm-hmm. just silence before Marnie's going to strike. I mean that's just like great shit. And it would have been great shit if it came out yesterday and it was great <laughs> shit in 1964. Yeah. So yeah, I do agree with you. Like, I, I think like the psychological, the psychology of the movie is obviously dated. Mm-hmm. Um, the character dynamics are a little fucking weird. Like that scene on the boat is at, at least when I was watching it, I thought to myself, Oh, the dynamics here are shifting. Like for the first half, we're led to believe Marnie is a villain and then Connery becomes the predator. Or at least that's where you think it's going to go. And then the next scene, they immediately reverse it. It's just yeah. like a guy that's in over his head. It's like, fuck no, dude. You knew what you were getting into here. <laughs> like, come on, man. This is not your job. You're like, I, I know dudes like this. You think you can <laughs> fix every woman that you come into contact with and you get too close to the sun and then you want to blame her once you've gotten too close. And mm. sorry, my guy, come off it. <laughs> He's a dick. So, yeah, I, I definitely think like the movie has not properly interrogated whose side we're supposed to be yes. on and what we're supposed to feel. And also, like the ending is just too neat. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's too much of a, a of a fine bow in it. I'm not a big fan of any of the scenes with the mom, to be honest with you. Me neither. I, I do love the shot where the mom is in silhouette. As, oh, it's freaky as yes, hell, isn't it? As she awakes oh, from her nightmare. Again, I thought the like, same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just. There, there are just dashes of this movie that are just brilliant. Yes, and, I agree. You know, it's just Hitchcock doing his thing. Yeah, I, I do think it's one of those movies, though. It becomes less good once you start thinking about it. But in the moment, I mean, his movies are incredible roller coasters. Yeah, I guess I agree with that. You know, but I, that, that just goes back to what I was saying, though. In, in my opinion, it's like every the movie gets me and then it doesn't have me. And that's the weird rhythm of the movie. And it's funny what you just said about the, the boat scene and how it goes straight back to them just trying to figure it out. Is that this movie tonally doesn't work for me very well. Hmm. Is that it get, it'll get so dramatic. Melodramatic. So, yeah. And then it'll just get like stagey and stiff and they'll just be trying to figure out. So, Marnie, why are you this way? And talk right. to me. And the exposition is like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, honestly. And I mean. Like Hitchcock does that in Psycho too. At I the mean, end though, yeah, it's at the end, it's not like the well, entire. Well, that's kind of what happens here. No, right? no, no, no. I, I mean, they kind of wrap it up with a bow. Like this is the reason why she's this way, and now that she's confronted it, she's no longer this way. No, but there are entire segments of the like where he's has her in bed, right? And she's just he's like asking her those those, those very like personal questions, and she gets very upset. Oh, by right, him. the word association. Yeah, it's like like you could not be more on the nose with this if you tried. Yeah, in my opinion, like it's too much for me. In my opinion, so yeah, yeah. 
and, and her performance, I think, definitely gets there. I mean, when she's screaming at the end as they're sort of uh, they're digging into her past. By the way, did you know that was Bruce Dern that plays the, the sailor there? Oh, it is? yeah, I was look- I saw the name in the credits and I was looking yeah. for him. I didn't say shit. Yeah, that's that's oh, Bruce okay. Um, I mean, that that stuff for me, it's just this is not a mystery that necessarily needed to be solved. Yeah. You know, like make this a thriller about uh, like a crazy woman, like, uh, you know, just stealing shit and that like, that's enough, but it it sort of bites off more than it can chew in that way. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah, that being said, I don't know. Like Hitchcock just makes great movies and is this a great movie? No, I wouldn't call it a great movie, but he like, there's always something there for you. He knows what he's doing for sure. I don't, like I said, I don't think it's a bad movie, but I, I mean, I was just surprised by, in my opinion, how many mistakes he was making personally. Mm. I mean, like it's sort of considered his last great film, like in historically. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, yeah, I, this are the birds, the birds. Yeah. It's not, it's uh, strangely, it's not even close. Okay. You know, and I don't think the birds is his best film. That's kind of where I put it, but I, I, you know me, I'm a little lower on the birds than most people. Yeah. Yeah. The birds is it for me. Like that's his last, like really good mood. I, although I haven't seen his very last film, which I hear is pretty good. Which is frenzy. Is it frenzy? I'm not sure. Uh, no, it's, it's something else. It's a different movie. Now that I think about it. What's number one for you? Best movie. Yeah. Psycho. Although my second favorite is sort of a surprise. It's strangers on a train. And then probably, I know I'm a normie and a basic bitch, but like vertigo is just, I mean, that thing just like rips your heart out. You got to be in a mood to watch it though. And I'm never in a mood to watch that movie. Just the ending of that movie is you're just getting slapped in the face. I guess. I don't know if it's as powerful for me as it is for you. It's a great ending, but like, yeah. Yeah. When he's just screaming at her in the tower, like fucking God. Really good. It's no, it's a great movie. And the <laughs> score in that too. That that yeah, I think is probably yeah. the best Bernard Herman score. I think Bernard Herman did that movie with him, but it, it's the best Hitchcock score, at least in my opinion. And yeah, the best looking too. I think maybe Psycho. It's a good question, like where I go, because for me it's Psycho, then Strangers on a Train, just is everything I wanted, and then um, I probably go Psycho too, and I probably you know what I love? I love Rope, and I watched yeah, Rope I love, for the first time recently. Yeah, Rope's great. I think like if you're going to give me if I, if I only got to pick one like chamber piece Hitchcock thing, that's kind of like stagey and all takes place in one room. It's probably rope. Rear windows. Probably it's a hit on top of rope for me. It's probably number three. Yeah. And notorious is in my top 10. I still haven't seen notorious. Notorious is awesome. Yeah. Fucking awesome. I need to see that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great ones and there's Rebecca, which, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, the remake is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Is it a remake of the Hitchcock film or is it just another adaptation? Of the it's book? another adaptation. Okay. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't bother. <laughs> How many people does Army Hammer eat? <laughs> not enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, uh, a movie called Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Written and directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring... Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, and George C. Scott. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Didn't win any of them. An insane general triggers a path to nuclear holocaust (laughs) that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically tries to stop. If this isn't like every comm student's favorite movie, like, (laughs) who are you? 
because this was instantly amongst my favorite movies ever. Like, like, and I mean, like, really high up there. Yeah, I was like, it is one of those movies, though. Like, you're on a first date, and like, the the, the chick gets instantly annoyed with you because you're like, have you seen Doctor Strange? <laughs> it's just like, just Kubrick just knows how to balance tone so unbelievably. <laughs> Some people think it's a farce, but it's more of like a dark satire, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's one of those movies that is, like, yeah. I understand why women would never want to be around us because no. we love it so much. It's just the best <laughs> movie, guys. It's, it's so just fucking great. Fucking though. amazing. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, it's a perfect movie. <laughs> I just one of those. I saw it and just like immediately it was like like a like the lost love of my life i'm like where have you been i saw it freshman year of college wow which is i think the perfect time to watch it Mm -hmm. like it was just as i was getting into film in a like more critical way i don't know when i saw it now a couple years ago though um and you know like the 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 politics of the movie the history of the movie like Mm -hmm. it's you know i i think you need to be a slightly elevated viewer in order to see this and I don't know. And I don't, I don't what mean, do you mean? What I don't, do you mean? I don't mean you need to be like, uh, you know, a, a member of the, the, the proletariat it's or whatever popular movie, or not the proletariat. Do, you know? What's the opposite of proletariat? The fucking bourgeoisie, you know, to be like, you know, but you can't watch it when you're 14. No, no. There's some funny stuff in here though, that you might be able to appreciate. Yeah. I think if you you're, can't s- fight in here, that's the war room. It's the war room is funny to anyone. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're, I think if you're like, I don't know, maybe a senior in high school, you might be able to be closer to that. I see what you, I do see what you mean, but like, I don't know. You don't need to be like, like a, like, a, I don't know, like a 40 year old to get this movie. Mm. You know, I certainly wasn't. Yeah, no, I, I get, <laughs> no, that's why I'm saying, I think like college age is the perfect time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, just as you're sort of learning more about the world and maybe like your politics are starting to sort of develop a little more or and, just your disinterest in politics. Yeah. Cause that's why it works so well for me. Cause I'm very like, fuck all of that. Right. They're all stupid. And I just loved a movie that just sent them all up and said, sure. look at you guys, you're idiots. Sure. And it was wonderful. Even though like, it's, these are the people in charge of the nuclear codes. And still are right. and, <laughs> basically and still are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best part. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is based on a, a novel. Peter George's red alert mm-hmm. is the source material here. And it is just um, the platonic ideal of a dark comedy that takes what is a pretty like straightforward thriller mm-hmm. of, a, of a synopsis and turns it into something totally different and uh, you know just on the strength of performances and direction yep um you know you you read the synopsis on wikipedia i i did a little refresher because it's been a couple years since i saw it last but i just wanted to get the specifics of exactly what went down and i'm reading it and it does come across as like mission impossible six like like you read it and it's just you know it's an 80s 90s like harrison ford thriller um you read the script no um, the the summary Oh, oh, okay. okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. you just, w- when you read the actual story, what's happening in yeah, there, yeah. It, it is just like a pretty straightforward thriller. There are instances too, where it, in to- like you, the comedy lessons and it does work as something that's certainly, it is tense too. Sure. Like the ultimate conflict, like gets you going. Sure. Cause, cause especially because like at this time you don't expect it to go the way that it does in the end. Yes. <laughs> so when it does, it's like. Could not be funnier, but more depressing at the same time. And I just love movies like that, where the the, the comedic side of it is just as great as how dark it is. Mm. You know, that's like Death of Stalin is so good, or Why a Feels Good Man is another great one. Mm. You know, so. yeah, it's it's the gold standard of black comedies, and yep, many have tried, and no one has gotten to the heights of this movie. Um, 
it is it is still the gold standard. It is still yeah. the the north star that everybody's following. Um, and it's hard, man. Like you, I, I think about what was that movie based on the that um, that they made a documentary about it on Netflix. The guy that blew himself up that had the bomb attached to him. Oh, uh, that worked at the evil pizza genius place. You're talking about right. So they made that movie sixty seconds or less. Yep, with Jesse Eisenberg and shit. That's a broad comedy, though. It is, but it takes what is a, you know, supposed to be a pretty like dour subject matter. It's clearly like a very sad and tragic story and they play it for laughs. And like just no one has been able to strike the balance quite like Kubrick was able to. Like it is one of the most amazing tightrope walks in the history of film. This movie is because I I don't know. I think he's taking it seriously. 100 percent. And I think that's part of it. 100 percent. You know, you I, I always say you have to understand something before you can send it up. And to do that, you do have to take it seriously just by nature. And it, it's a dark movie, though. Like, this is the thing about the movie, that it, it could be very upsetting and depressing for some people if you don't have that sort of cynical sense of humor. Mm. So I could well, I could see someone watching this and not finding it as funny as I do, even though this movie's so fucking funny. Yeah. Uh, but, like, there are scenes where, like... <laughs> I think the perfect encapsulation of this of the movie is where that general first reveals his plan and it's shot from below and there's that like, ridiculous cigar. Si- yeah. His the phallic like image of the cigar. Oh, out. my God. But like that monologue is really creepy mm. and it's it's ridiculous. But like his performance is great. And then the, again, like I said, the way it's shot is so strange and ominous. But the movie goes through this great emotional journey where you're, you're like really terrified by the guy. And then he says bodily fluids and you just right. die laughing like, oh my God, this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so fucked up. It's a really fucked up movie. It is. <laughs> totally. And the, because also the set decoration is incredible in the movie. Yeah. Like the war room, that set is an amazing, like 24 wishes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> j- like even like some of the James Bond movies of the 80s and 90s, they wish they could design like mm-hmm. a, a room that is like that striking. And it's a comedy. Um, you know, it's it, you're 100% right. Kubrick does take this seriously yeah. as a thriller. The original ending, I don't know if you know this, I think they shot um, an ending where right, all the characters engage in a, a pie food fight, fight, a pie, a pie fight. fight. Yeah, they just start... Uh, throwing pie at each other as the world blows up um and they had to scrap it just because like kubrick's saying this is not in line with the tone of this movie like this is not quite a farce it's a satire it is a dark satire and in order to satirize something you also have to nail it you have to nail the conventions of the genre you don't just like throw it out the uh, you know uh, you throw it out with the throw out the baby with the bathwater there um so and, and you know i think Robert Altman also sort of instinctually understands this in some of his more satirical movies. Uh, And it's something that has just frankly been lost over the last 20 to 30 years. Like Mm -hmm. you just don't have good satire anymore. Um, Death of Stalin is like a rare example. There are not, and you know, Veep, anything by Armando Iannucci is a, is a rare example. Um, You either go very broad or you go very serious. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I think like just, there, there is a lack of respect for the source material in comedies now. Mm. And when something is satirized now, um, you know, the, it's kind of like the South Park thing. Yeah. Like the knee jerk reaction is to make it look fucking stupid and to sure. deconstruct it. Sure. Whereas this one does it a lot more carefully, right? It, it uses a scalpel to deconstruct. It oh, doesn't yeah. just rip it apart. No, I agree. I agree. Is there anybody who could do it? Like I, maybe Dave Chappelle could do it. 
Mm. Now, if he, you know, had the passion to make something like this or write something, he wouldn't like make it, but he might write a script that's kind of like darkly comedic like this, maybe. I don't know, man. That's a good question. I mean, Chappelle's show definitely wasn't that, though. No, 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 no. But like he was a different Dave Chappelle back then. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I I, I think Armando Iannucci is the closest we have to it. Okay. Um, But like even like guys like Mike Judge, uh, you know, the Seth Rogen and Evan Goldbergs of the world. Like, well, I guess the reason I, I mentioned Dave Chappelle is that that's kind of how I feel about his later or latest stand-up specials. Okay. Where they're very funny, but like there's something really deep seated and, and disturbing beneath what he's trying to say, uh-huh. you know? So I really, I guess maybe that's what it's coming down to. It's very clear that like Dave Chappelle uh, for most of what he's discussing with his audience is very passionate to him that he wants them to really listen to. So I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. Hmm. Yeah, man. I'm not sure Dave Chappelle has the same amount of malice, though, that Stanley Kubrick did. I think that might also be part of it. It's just like the guy was a pretty, like, wretched person. Yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's the problem is, like, no one really has it. And I kind of mean that as a compliment, you know? Oh, yeah. No, me too. Like, no one else could have made this movie this well. Yeah. There are many people who could make this movie, but not in the way that Kubrick did, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah, right. Where there is just like such disdain for these people. Um, Oh my God. And the courage to really go there, you know? Like, like fucking George C. Scott when he's in the room with he's his unbelievable music. in this movie, by the way. I wish I <laughs> he's so fucking good. Where he's like, he's got his shirt off and he like slaps his stomach. All right, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's so ugh, God, I just think it's so great. Yeah. And I can't get enough. Of, I mean, obviously, we haven't talked about Peter Sellers yet, <laughs> which is we've talked about his role in this movie on so many podcasts. Actually, yes. we have. <laughs> this comes up a lot. Well, Peter Sellers is an obsession of mine. Um, and yeah, this is as good at acting as anyone has ever done. Right. Like this is just this is a capital A acting right here. Who is your favorite of the characters he plays? Because I do have a favorite. It's probably not the one you might expect. I, th- I think mine's Kilgrave, I think. Okay, mine's the president. Interesting. I think the president's probably last on my list if I had to rank it. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, obviously, like he with Kilgrave, he goes more over the top and like it's a more physical performance, like, you know, and it's a more like manic performance. Yep. And that to me is kind of like the I mean, that's the that, those are the characters I love. That's the comedy that I love. So that's probably it. There's something about his delivery with every single line he utters as the president, which is just like, like, I don't think I've seen like, again, it's one of those instances where it's like it shouldn't work as well as it as it does because he's so like he's a very like affectless guy. Mm. You know, he's not something like you're obviously not supposed to like him. He's just sort of the guy who's supposed to be there. And he's this bald schlub mm. who's trying to run the world. But like that phone call he has with Dimitri. Did I say Kilgrave? It's Mandrake. 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 I'm sorry. Why? Uh, what's Kilgrave? I know what. Yeah, I, that sounds familiar. Who's though. Kilgrave? Kilgrave. Mandrake. Kilgrave is a character in Jessica Jones. Ah. A what have you show done? I have never seen. Okay. So no. I don't know where I got that if you, from. If you say so, Nico. <laughs> David Tennant plays Kilgrave. Kilgrave. What? Okay. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. Man. What is it? Uh, Mandrake. Mandrake. <laughs> I don't know where I got Kilgrave from. Mandrake. Yeah. But yeah, like I just, I just can't get enough of it. Just his line delivery. <laughs> I just love where he's sitting on the, sitting on the phone. I, I don't know what it is. It just cracks me up. It's just like one of those perfect things that resonates with me. Where he's, what does he say? Where he's like, well, I'll tell you what he did. He ordered his men to bomb your country. <laughs> well, let me finish, Dimitri. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let me finish, Dimitri. <laughs> hey, listen, how do you think I feel? <laughs> Why do you think I'm calling? Just to say hello? <laughs> of course I want to say hello and talk to you. <laughs> I love how that conversation goes from being about the fact that your fucking country is going to get bombed to, what, you don't want to talk to me? <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's so good. His hair's great as, oh as the president, God. too. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, I mean, that's acting. It, he didn't win the Oscar, and that is just an absolute travesty. I know. Like, what else do you want the guy to do? Who won this year? The guy from My Fair Lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fucking Christ, no. What are we doing here? Again, I haven't seen My Fair Lady. I guess that's not fair, but yeah. please. <laughs> please. You know who can make this movie now? Who? I hate to say it, dude, and I'm not just saying it because he's he's makes movies like Stanley Kubrick, but like Yorgos could probably do this. Yes. Although Yorgos, I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess tonally that makes sense. I'm not sure Yorgos's movies have such disdain for the people. Are you sure? Are they, would you consider Yorgos movie satires or? or Yeah. Oh, my lobster is as satirical as it gets. Okay. You know, more about social conventions than anything. It's more of like an allegory than a satire though. Yeah. I mean, it depends. It's like a cautionary tale. Like it's, it's not like real, like, are you really having a laugh at the expense of, Oh, of Colin Farrell in that movie. (laughs) And then he came up behind me and fucked me in the ass. Yes. I'm laughing occasionally. (laughs) Uh, When the dog gets kicked to death? No, that's horrible. Come on. But like when I, you see like dog tooth, it's the same way where it's like you're laughing and then you're horribly disturbed and then you're laughing and then you're horribly disturbed. Right. You know, I think the favorite is often the same way satirical in tone for sure. You know, I, I agree that lobster is more of an, an allegory, but like, I don't know. It's, it's occasionally funny. <laughs> yeah. No, he definitely, he can walk that tightrope. Yeah, no yeah. question. Your mm-hmm. goes, he's just like such a, another thing though, man. Like, yes. Yeah, I agree. There are no directors that make movies that feel quite like that. No, you know, I keep saying though it's the it's Kubrick. It's very Kubrick. It looks it looks Kubrickian. It definitely. looks so much like Kubrick. It's so weird. Like Killing of a Sacred Deer is just a Kubrick film through sure. and through. Yeah, sure. And, and the favorite is Barry Lyndon, right? Basically, it's basically Barry Lyndon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this movie's getting in right. Yeah, I mean, it's my favorite Stanley Kubrick film. It, it's also my favorite Stanley Kubrick film. Isn't that amazing? Wow, that never happens. Congratulations and, to it. And duck that shit. <laughs> so we agree on the director. <laughs> yeah, I finally went and ranked my Coen Brothers movies. Uh-huh. You know, and I felt bad because I, I know you put Fargo at number one, but I rewatched No Country again. I'm like, eh, I know it's the obvious. It's like I have to do it. Yeah, I mean that list is basically which Coen Brothers movie have you seen last, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Like, you know, that's like, basically what that that's is. That's a wonderful point. Yeah. Well, unless it's intolerable cruelty. So. Right. Unless it's that <laughs> one. It's, yeah, whichever one you saw last is your number one. Like, yeah, you because you, you watch it and there's nothing wrong with it. So how could anything be higher? Because there's nothing, you know, conceivably wrong here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I go. I know everybody's got a fucking list. And, yeah. Like, people are sick of lists. I'm su- I'm such a such a lame person piece of shit that i actually went and ranked the, the only three zoller films yeah i know we're just so obsessed with yeah. ranking things yeah i know but no one else wants to read our rankings you know yeah. it's just we're obsessed for our own like bookkeeping don't look at my steve mcqueen ranking you're gonna want to strangle me but i think i would go <laughs> strange love clockwork i mean that's me too yeah what is my ranking shining at three 
Shining, I think, is four. I think I go Shining. God. And then... That's a hard ranking. Wow. Kubrick? Jesus. Wow. Mm. Let me see. 2001 at four. 2001, wow. Yeah. 2001 is five for me. And then Full Metal Jacket at five. Whoa, okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Paths of Glory at three? Uh, Doctor Strange Love, Clockwork, Paz of Glory, The Shining, 2001, and then Lolita. That's the controversial one. I, I'd, I'd go a little lower. I like that movie. That movie's really good. But uh, Then Full Metal Jacket, Barry Lyndon, Spartacus, Eyes Wide Shut, The Killing. I don't even dislike The Killing, though. Like I feel bad putting it that low, but it's just not like Kubrick the way we understand him. Eyes Wide Shut's about to start climbing on my list. Have you seen it recently? I have not, but I have a feeling I'm going to watch it again and like fall in love with it. I should rewatch it again, honestly. I, I, it's a movie that I still think about occasionally. I do, so. yeah. I think about it a lot. So I think about it a lot. Yeah, I think we're about on the same page with that, though. That, that sounds like we're pretty simpatico. No, no, more or less. Like I have Full Metal Jacket higher than most people do. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, know. that's just a movie that I that means a lot to me. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, okay, Doctor Strange Love. Go Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, I just think like it it's the hardest job. Yes, again. No, I completely agree. It's just the hard I mean Even a lot of people w- have made movies like The Shining, a lot of people have made movies like Pads of Glory, a lot of people have made movies Not like a Clockwork Orange. Don't go there. No. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Yeah, like yeah, or you know, you know, Barry Lyndon. But yeah, not a lot of people, you're right, have made them one like two thousand one or Clockwork or um or Strangelove. Yeah. The a clockwork occasionally climbs there it like scratches at yeah. uh, doctors it's 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 close it's really fucking good it's close i don't know the, like like again that that's one of those rankings where it's like if you were to say clockwork is better i wouldn't be upset at all it's not a is bad. clockwork in the movie hall of fame did we put no it? What no did we do that year what was that oh, fuck 1970 or 69 because that might have been my favorite movie of that year because that, that was my other question. How many Kubrick films did we have? 2001, I believe, is in. No. Oh, no, it's not. Rosemary's Baby's in. Yeah, we did. All right, I have the, the record here. That's bad. If we don't have... This is the Check only... Check what your clockwork was, and then let me see what we put in instead. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here it is. Should we retroactively put clockwork Seven, in? Yeah, 71 was the year. Okay. So... I mean, yeah, we should because <laughs> I actually watched Clockwork Orange with my brother and his girlfriend recently and just like like floored by it. I mean, besides the filmmaking, like the script in that movie just slaps so fucking hard. <laughs> in both of these movies, the script slaps. Yeah. For different reasons, though. Oh, we put Last Picture Show in. You put it in. Yeah, that's a tough call. Because I, I was putting in Clockwork. Wow. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would have gone Clockwork on that. But. That's a tough call. I stand by it, but that's tough. Yeah. We need to figure out a way to get clockwork in. We could do, I mean. Is this the first Kubrick movie we put in? I think it is. What? You know what? I think it is. Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? We honestly probably should have put 2001 in. <laughs> that that was, pro- I mean, I love Rosemary's Baby to death, but like. Yeah, we are just hacks, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are just, we have Godfather 3 in here. And that is that's that's as a movie. joke though. You don't take that one seriously. That was just to spite you. That doesn't count. <laughs> this is the first Stanley Kubrick movie we've inducted. Oh my god! What a joke! <laughs> what a fucking joke! That's a great point. How can we call ourselves the Movie Hall of Fame and this is the first time we're putting a Kubrick movie in? <laughs> that's very true. What shit? 
Jesus, the greatest director of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Only took us two years. Jesus. That's true. Fucking hell. God, when you say it like We're that. We're awful. When you say it like that. We are a- awful. Yikes. We've been doing this for, I think, two and a half years now. And this is the first Kubrick film? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, that's bad, man. We got to get a few more in. <laughs> yeah, Rosemary's Baby over 2001 is kind of questionable. Yeah, yeah. It's not the worst choice in the world, but yeah, I agree. It's probably not correct. Uh, yeah, Clockwork needs to be in for sure, though. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll get it in. We can't someday. really do a, a classic. I mean, we could do a classic Kubrick if we wanted to. And we've talked about basically all of them, though, right? That's the thing. All of them have been nominated, yeah. but none of them have gotten in. Mm. No, what we did want to do, I guess, was like a second chance pod. Like 1999 needs a second chance pod where we just induct Fight Club and call it a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's that. Right. We'll talk. Um, in either case, that's another episode of the Movie Hall of Fame. In two weeks, we will be back with more shenanigans. I'll, I'll let you... Uh, pick the next one? I'll let you pick the next theme. I'll let you uh, grab the reins here and think about it. Don't like... Don't like Shoot just off, jump. shoot off at the hip here. I'm always best when I just shoot at the hip, though. When I just come up with stuff, it's just inspiration hits, Nico. <laughs> let me know, okay? Let let me know, uh, and we'll be back in two weeks, and we'll we'll do this again. Best movies where the lead wears glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta watch six Harry Potter movies. Yeah. <laughs> That's coming, by the way. That's fucking coming, one and you day, know it. One day. <laughs> Uh, that'll do it. Uh, go to the website too many thoughts media.com or tmt.media for short. Uh, please check out my YouTube videos. Um, I've been working really hard on them and it seems like people have been enjoying them. Yes. So they're fun videos. Yeah. It's, it's nice. Um, one of them kind of went semi viral. So that was, that, that was cool to see. That is cool. Yeah, so uh, we, we got a bunch of new subscribers. If you're new to the program after finding me on YouTube, welcome aboard. Um, <laughs> sorry, but welcome aboard. You're in now. I do nothing related to the podcast on my YouTube channel. I just make little musical stuff mm. and, I, and I post it occasionally. I'm r- very random. I'm like the Larry David of metal shows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. That's the biggest oxymoron I've ever heard. <laughs> so uh, yeah go check that out you can find the links to all of that on the website or i guess just search for too many thoughts on youtube and and hit the subscribe i'm trying to get to a thousand we're almost there we're creeping up on 900 subscribers i think we're like seven short of 900 so yeah we gotta keep going we gotta keep going man gotta keep going let's keep this gravy train on the tracks all right let's get to a thousand we can do it yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Vote in the Dave draft on the discord chat with us on there. Um, and then listen to all of our other shows. Uh, we love making them. I hope you love listening to them mm-hmm. until next time. Oh God. Hold these goddamn chickens. Oh God.